came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Okay, welcome everybody back for our final episode of season three. Hey, Ksenia. Hello, final episode. I can't believe that we are in the end of season three. It's kind of, it's been a really long season. Um, I don't know, time-wise, right? It felt like it's been going forever. Well, maybe it's just because of the circumstances, you know, of season three coming yeah. in the middle of COVID and everything and trying to work in strange environments, you know, and uh, record under suboptimum circumstances. Yeah, it's. Um, I feel like we need a tagline, you know, season three brought to you from our bedrooms by really poor internet. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. <laughs> well, at least somewhere in the season, I got better internet, which was good. I'm so excited by your better internet. I think that was like the most exciting piece of news, which uh, absolutely cheered me up. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's been good though. It's thought. been good. I've really uh, enjoyed the season and we met some amazing people and I hope that our listeners have felt the same way. Absolutely. We had some fantastic and really inspiring guests. And I just want to thank all of our guests for giving us the really precious time, uh, particularly, mm. you know, in this season when everybody is just extremely busy and overworked and has other things to deal with. So yeah, thank you all for just chatting to us. We really wouldn't be able to do this without you. And yeah, we had some really exciting episodes with the guests. Um, I was also really excited about our special episodes and of course we had the very uh, early on in the covid kind of period right in may we had um, an episode on positive responses it was really nice to learn about different positive responses and mutual care in different parts of the world we also had our first special episode with the disaster prevention management journal where we reflected on the special issue that was dedicated to the 10 years since L'Aquila earthquake. Um, it was really interesting to talk to academics, right? Who kind of worked on the special issue. Right. And I'm particularly excited about our new feature, our live streaming experiences. It was a little bit nerve wracking in the beginning, but I think the few special episodes that we've done. So, you know, the one on the disaster capitalism and the book group one, and also the special episode for International Day for Disaster Risk Reduction that we've live streamed, they seem to be pretty good. I, I thought they were great. And it's something, it's something different. It allows our audience to like ask questions during the recording as well. And. Um, we can kind of respond to some of the the things that people are are saying on the different platforms, and because we're using the restream software, it allows us to stream out to five or six different places, which is kind of cool. So um, I know some of you listening will have maybe found the podcast through one of those live streams, and that's pretty exciting. And if anybody's listening that hasn't seen the live stream, please check out. Disasters Decon on, where are we? YouTube, Twitter, 
Facebook, um, on all those platforms, you can get connected to our live streams. And so we're, we're trying to set up like events in on those different platforms so that you'll have some sort of notice as to when we're going live. Hmm. And yeah, we're, that's going to become more of a feature for us, which is pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I think it's great. And also, I really love that it allows us to engage with a slightly wider audience um, and group of people, you know, we, we, we can now talk to to many more people, which is always great. Mm. And that leads me to my favorite question of the final episodes. Every final episode, I ask you the same question and I continue. Um, I will continue to do so. So Jason, tell me the numbers. What are our stats doing? What, what are the most popular episodes this season? We're pretty consistently like um, improving on previous seasons. We have more people downloading on Mondays after every episode comes out. Uh-huh. And most of the episodes are getting similar amount of of hits during the week that they come out, which which kind of means we have a, a nice dedicated listening base. And thank you all so much for Yay. being part of that. It's pretty cool that two or 300 people every week download the episode when it comes out. In terms of like choosing ones that were most popular, I, I'm trying to to look across the stats and I know I can see on um, August 10th, I don't know, Ksenia, do you have that at hand, what episode that is, August 10th? And then actually the, the episode that we had last week was was also very popular. <laughs> Sorry, but it, I'm so, I'm, I'm I'm so organized. <laughs> I'm so organized. August 10th. Yeah, my memory is good, but it's not that good. No. Um, I'm going to... It's like, episode okay, six. I'm... What's episode six? Oh, that's BFB, Barefoot Bob. Well, there you go. BFB's episode was th- had the most downloads on the first... Um, on the day it was released of any episode. That is amazing. But I mean, how can you not download the episode when a guest responds in a song to a question, right? I agree. That's, I agree. That is pretty precious. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. Um I'm not sure we'll see that again, or maybe maybe that will inspire other guests to try to outdo BFB. Well, maybe maybe that's what we should do in our next live stream. We should ask the guests to express themselves in a different <laughs> media. You know, I don't know, media of dance or poetry, so many options, or like origami. <laughs> origami, okay. <laughs> but yeah, we're just so excited wherever you're tuning in from around the world that you continue to stay with us through three seasons. And we're looking forward to season four for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we have some amazing, exciting news about season four, don't we, Jason? We do. And if anyone listened to the live stream last week for International DRR Day, we had a three-person live stream with Darian Alexander-Williams from MIT, who you may remember from season two, and um, also the book group. And anyway, we've been talking with Darian for several months about um, further collaborations and he has kindly agreed to join us as a co-host for season four so we're really very stoked about that yay i really can't wait i absolutely love working with darren and i think uh, darren will really help us to bring some new content and mm-hmm. curate season four so i'm so excited about it and i really can't wait for us to start recording season four yeah so in the next few months we're going to be recording uh we have an amazing uh, schedule and lots of new ideas going into season four. Mm. We will have some live streams. We'll have some special episodes in the in the meantime while you wait for season four. 
But just to finish off um, this kind of three-month segment, we wanted to take today and go through some of our uh, favorite moments from season three to leave you with something before we go on our break. Why are you banging your microphone? <laughs> I'm not banging my microphone. It's like it does this. Yeah. That. Oh, no, really? This? Yeah. Yeah, that was. Oh, that. it's my headphone wire that's. <laughs> Is it bad? It, you've done it a few times, it's not bad. Well, so in season three, we continued unpacking stories of disasters. We sort of focused on it in our season two, right? And we touched upon this in season one, and I'm sure we'll continue talking about it. And we talked more in this season about how we tell stories. And also we, again, went back and reflected on whose stories we're telling and who and what we need to consider to make the narratives of disasters more powerful and also more meaningful, particularly for those who are mostly affected by disasters. Yeah. And when we um, kind of envisaged this season, we wanted to start off by looking um, to history and looking at what we can learn from history, because we know it's so important to take that long-term view when we consider how risk is produced in society. And so we, we had actually been thinking about having this person um, sit with us for right, like right from the start of Disasters right. Deconstructed. And so we were very privileged to be able to sit with Scott Knowles from Drexel University, a disaster historian who many of you probably know, um, to, to really set the context for the season and talk about the history of disasters and the importance of history for us as we deconstruct disasters. When you use history as a tool, you find that um, the sort of clear beginning, middle and ending points uh, may be so clear to us, but not so clear to people in the moment. And so with that as a guide, I think we can transfer that insight even to the way we talk about disasters that are happening right now, which is to say um, people living through any number of disasters that we can locate in the historical record. Uh, you know, it might have been clear to them that uh, a flood was happening or a fire was happening. I mean, obviously there are such things as events, but those events are never cut off from uh, preceding flow of events, conditions that make disaster possible. So in the first episode, and I thought it was a great opening really for the season, Scott highlighted the importance of history. I guess we don't really talk enough uh, about history and disasters, not in a way that kind of history of disasters, but the historical process of disasters, mm -hmm. right? And this is, this is really what Scott brought to us because it is so important when we actually consider the root causes, because very often we know that, that these root causes are temporarily uh, removed. So mm. it, it, it's been a fantastic conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I was actually quite glad that we were able to kind of return to history and culture and society more in this season, particularly when we spoke to Aparna Tandon from Ikrom, 
Because again, a tradition is something that we, I think, tend to romanticize in disasters quite a lot, right? We talk about uh, traditional knowledge, and it is a good thing. We we should not um, ignore traditional knowledge, but very often we uh, romanticize it and we forget that communities are not um, a singular thing, right? There are communities yeah. and there are individuals within communities, and um, therefore there are power relationships and there are knowledges that sometimes um hide these power relationships right or they're presented yeah. in a way that kind of they do not reflect power relationship in a way that we then use them uh, in disaster risk reduction so again talking to a partner and unpacking all these good but also bad things about tradition and traditional knowledge and heritage was just absolutely fantastic till we hear of cultural sensitivities are not shown or exhibited enough and really uh, is designed around uh, convenience rather than uh, convenience of the donors rather than that of the recipients. Uh, that's often the criticism, but the point is to really, really, when you're working with culture and cultural heritage, to rely on uh, your own sources and they, they have to be all they also have to enjoy the trust of the community and when i say community i know communities are not you know, uh, you know uh, homogenous entities and that there are very power between and there are multiple voices within one community but the idea is to really as quickly as possible uh set up a consultation process along with trying to save as many relevance as possible so that you are impartial if not fully neutral. Early on in the season, we talked about journalism with our regular guest, Samantha Montano. And um, after that, we also talked to Karen Gabois, who's a reporter and founder of New Orleans-based local news source, The Lens. And they both had really interesting insights into journalism, into reporting, into storytelling, and some of the, I, and I guess also at the power behind um, the narrative and being able to take a critical look at the media that we consume and the narratives that we hear and absorb and um, live by. Those of us who do have expertise in disasters need to work with journalists to help provide context and direction for the work that they're doing. It's not, you know, just about giving a good one-liner to them when they call for an interview. It's about actually educating the journalist and kind of making an investment in their understanding of disasters so that that can be, uh, you know, influence throughout the rest of the work that they're doing. Of course, I, as somebody who does this a lot, I recognize that that's easier said than done. It requires a pretty extensive amount of invisible labor on the researcher's end, and it also requires a journalist who has the time and the interest and the freedom to actually spend having those longer conversations, and then, of course, editors who are supporting that work. So, you know, some of that's within our control, some of it isn't. was really, you know, I had lists and lists and lists of properties that had been proffered for demolition where people were um, 
either actively rebuilding or plan to rebuild or had rebuilt, renovate, you know, re- re- reconstructed their home. So it just seemed to me like there was something really nefarious and ill-advised going on. And that, that led me to just sort of be more questioning. It's been really great to explore the kind of journalistic narratives of disasters, not just the way we engage, right, with journalism, but actually talk to journalists as well. Yeah. But what I particularly loved on this season is that we were able to engage with different media of communication, right? Yeah. We were really able to unpack how different media can be used to narrate the stories that are very often unknown and not because they're difficult stories to tell but because the stories are different right they require kind of different voices perhaps um so for instance we don't really in disaster studies we don't really talk about photography we don't really talk about songs we don't really talk about podcasts um but we did in this season and it's been absolutely fantastic um I think we've mentioned BFB already in the beginning of this episode. I mean, how often do you get anyone respond to you in song? Um, hmm. Like never, right? But that's that's Barefoot Bob for you. And I'm sure um, every single person who's ever met Barefoot Bob has a story or two um, about him, right? He's yeah, just, I think so. He's just great <laughs> uh, to, to work and play with. I've been also fascinated by our conversation with Charles Fox and all the photography work that he has done. Um, I think he really unpacked photography for us in a way that, uh, you know, I personally haven't really thought about, right? The power of photography and the power of and voices of those whose photographs we're looking at, right? And we very often don't have the stories behind the photographs and kind of how that changes the perception of the story and how that changes the meaning of the photograph. Um, and of course, Dukes of Hazards were just fantastic. I don't think I've ever laughed that much uh, during the recording. Mm-hmm. And as you all know, I laugh a lot, you know, so it's that true. tells you something. So if I'm looking at, you know, what makes a good video, it has to be through the, that lens. Is it going to help the community? Is it? Are they going to be engaged by it? And how I, I look at that is multiple parts. One, does it explicate the problem? Does it let people know not just, you know, disaster is coming, but does it say the salient effects? What is it that the people are feeling themselves? Does it make them say, ah, yeah, we're facing that same thing. We have those same problems. That's how my family is affected. Secondly, does it identify a solution in a way that relates back to those salient effects that people can say, oh, yeah, I see that is a solution they've identified and that could actually help solve those problems we have. Third, does it show enough just to, you know, scratch the surface about how to implement that solution? Just to to give an idea that people can look at it and say, oh, actually that's something that we could be able to do. And the final thing, are there some kind of results or something about it being replicated that shows, is it effective? And people could say, oh yeah, all right, let's think about how we could replicate that here. There are images which sell. There are images that you know make front pages, and they they do so because they're high drama, high stakes, 
Um, and I mean, we cannot deny the, you know, the skill of the photographer. They, they are often beautifully composed. Well, that's difficult, really, because they are often quite traumatic scenes. So, I mean, I, I, what I can't do is, you know, criticize what what some photographers do. You know, people approach things in very different ways. But for me, I. I had, I, you know, I, I learned a lot from working in photojournalism, but I think these images of events and these individual responses, we, we place too much on them and we expect them to convey too much of a message. And I, part of our humor is, at least I'll own this for me, there, there's this awkwardness, right, of not quite knowing whether something's going to land or not and how deep it's going to go or how, you, you know. So there are so many times in episodes where, like, we just say, or at least I, I say, like the wrong thing. You know, like you, you're, you're trying. You don't know if the guest is going to be serious or funny, and you go one way, and they go the other way, and then there's just this sort of awkward silence, which I think, and there's like humor in that because we're just so human, and that the humanity of it like makes the the awkwardness sort of okay because I think all of us, when we confront disasters, there's a way that they are sort of very human and and very honest and authentic and and also that you can't fully understand them they're all of these things you know so so but i think there is this we're always trying to find the right balance and we never quite do and that's part of the story of the show right is that we're sort of always trying to figure that out and not quite managing another theme that we touched upon before in our previous seasons and explored further in season three is the practice of disaster risk reduction and so in different episodes, we talked about the role of researchers, communities, and practitioners. And some of the episodes that dealt with this were a double episode that we did with JC Gaillard, where we reflected on the manifesto from last year. And we, it was actually a, a special compilation of different opinions and, and thoughts and reflections on the manifesto from different listeners. Um, of the podcast. And so thank you to everyone who contributed to those episodes. And in that double episode, I think it was 10 and 11 or 11 and 12, um, we sat down with JC and just reflected on the contributions and the, the thoughts of some of um, those who read the, the manifesto and, and responded to it. And I think it was a really, really fun time we had with JC um, and and got really got to some interesting issues and points um, to move forward with. We also had um, episodes with Zineda Delica Willison and Mahir Bat. Those episodes were just fantastic in terms of just sitting and listening to the wisdom of our elders in this field. I thought. We we've talked a lot about concepts and and how they apply to particular. Um, issues with regards to disasters, but there's a broader picture, I think, which is important. And um, it's it's about what the, the, the language vehicles uh, in, in more broader terms. Um, and I, I'm thinking here of, of uh, Franz Fanon's argument around um, when, when, you, when, you, when you take on a language, you embrace an entire culture and um, we're going to talk about epistemologies and, and, and ways of knowing afterwards, but this is, I mean, there's, there's more than, than, than just the concept. It's, it's, it's the whole thing. And in the academic world, it's about, um, 
what publishing in English entails when it comes to formatting or structuring a paper, um, which is very normative usually, and it depends, or, I mean, according to disciplines, but there's usually a format you have to follow, which is the format of uh, Anglo-American standards. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a broader picture beyond just the concepts that we use. A lot of projects that are doing research about disaster as well as other um, current issues work with in-country research partners, um, which often means university departments or uh, independent research institutes or think tanks. And I think it's really important to recognize that um, our research partners are research partners and don't necessarily represent the views of all uh, of their fellow country people, um, nor are, do they necessarily have privileged access to the views of specific communities within their country. And it's as much a research process for them as it is for researchers coming from outside of the country. The thing is that it must become the responsibility of those who are most marginalized or most precarious within a research partnership to say, hey, wait, I'm not feeling good about this. I feel like my contributions are being taken for granted or uh, I don't think we're adequately engaging with um, community priorities or something like that. Definition is important because I realized when we started promoting it, community-based, community-based, but it was mercy probably misinterpreted by some donors or some even NGOs to mean uh, community located. So that means uh, community-based uh, when, when an NGO or a donor goes to a community, it is their project but based in a locality. They call it community-based. So that is not the essence of community-based. Uh, it is not well, of course, it's located in a, in a community, but the project is owned by the local people. They were the one conceptualized it. They were the one who are owning it, and they're the one managing it and implementing. So that's why in some areas they call it now community managed because community based could be could be misinterpreted as uh, community located, and but the essence of community based is not about that. It's about uh, mobilizing, organizing people for their own cost and at their own time and, uh, and, and with their own purpose. And one of the things that we discussed was that um, there is too much of schooling which is going on in our field, disaster, risk reduction or humanitarian action. And the way ahead seems to be learning, active learning, and I'm making that difference not to split hair, but you know, quite concretely means so, the difference between that. The other thing we found, that there is a too much effort in institutionalizing anything which has worked, and by institutionalizing, we quickly actually kill it. And what is needed is to actually network what works with other things which are working and go on increasing the number of working things, working activities, working communities, working groups, so that it becomes a larger, wide-scale impact. One of the things that we've discussed uh, with JC and Zanaida and Mihir was the way that we communicate right to to public 
Um, and very often that communication comes in written form. And it was actually quite interesting to talk about writing because I guess as academics, we are doing a lot of writing, right? This is the main form of communication, but we don't mm -hmm. really talk about it much somehow. I, I you know, I, I was really thinking about it. I don't know why we don't talk about how we write about disasters. We talk about the um, practicalities of writing, right? Like what is academic writing, but we don't actually discuss what it is we write. And also then how that writing gets anywhere. So it was fantastic to talk to Dewald van Niekerk in our penultimate episode about academic publishing. What does it mean? How does it get shared and does it get shared, right? What the problems are for academics and with academic writing. Whilst we sort of usually avoid this academia kind of kingdom, right, <laughs> for mm -hmm. choice of a better word, in our podcast, I felt that that episode was actually quite important uh, for the audience to understand where very often many of our guests are coming from, right, and what are the, some cha what, what are the challenges that very often academics actually face, particularly when it comes to sharing um, their research. And... I also really, really enjoyed our episode with Out of the Woods uh, Collective, mm. writing collective. Again, write, co writing collectively is something that we do, but we never write as a collective, right, in academia, because I guess, you know, the names are uh, too important and too precious. Um, and this is be because the way the kind of academic structure works. So talking to Alex and Dave about the collective and about the way that they work as a collective, and also the themes that they unpack, you know, uh, the kind of the power relationship, the climate crisis, the different narratives and stories that they're able to bring as a collective, was just absolutely fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to the book coming out, Hope Against Hope, because it's not out in the UK yet. Uh, and I really hope it will be soon. Uh, the good publication is the one that the, the majority of the, the uh, public can understand if they've got a bit of knowledge in what you're saying. Um, and uh, this is an age-old discussion as well, is how to make science accessible to the general public. Now, in some instances, yes, these, if you're working with an extreme statistical heavy um, research project, um, if people do not have this understanding of statistics and how you've, you've gone about working with your data, it's going to be complex and it's going to be very difficult for them. But um, that are normally people that your general public won't be much interested in that. But what they are interested in are the, the kind of topics that could change their life, something that they have an interest in, which um, with their, let's say, uh, limited knowledge on the subject field could mean something for them. It could be something that they're looking for in trying to change their business or, uh, let's say, trying to change some kind of development within their communities. And if your scientific um, articles are written in such a way that people can understand and internalize it, that makes a really good, a good article um, at the end of the day. And like when I think about Of The Woods, I think of the process by which we write, which is these sort of terrifying, huge, sprawling Google documents, which uh, like three or four of us are writing on at the same time in different colors, on different paragraphs, uh, sometimes on the same sentence. It's like changing and like metamorphizing as you're trying to finish it um, because other people are in the same 
piece of prose as you are. And it's this kind of beautiful organic chaos of like writing onto each other and writing over each other. And I think what's so wonderful about this process and so generative about it is like, whatever we are writing about, you're learning so much about the subject, but also whoever else you're sort of writing with, all these people, um, most of whom were total strangers to me when we started this collective and now sort of personal friends and like getting to know things is so entangled with getting to know other people like I feel like becoming familiar with ideas is so entangled with the process of becoming friends so this intellectual work is almost always framed as an individual operation especially in academia but I think what's so important about Out of the Woods and the way that we work is the real work is done in common in this kind of becoming kith in coming to know things together. And of course, we couldn't not talk about public health this season, given that our season has been recorded from our bedrooms, right? Because of COVID. <laughs> so um, we, we had Sarah DeYoung on with us to talk about public health and some of the work that she's been doing with regards, um, especially to family and um, maternal health and impacts from COVID. Mm. Um, another really interesting episode, and I think very timely um, given the circumstances that we're facing in the world right now. I think really this is bringing some of these issues even more to the front and center of the, the national conversation around healthcare as a human right, as you described a moment ago. Definitely in thinking in terms of the research that I do, um, one thing that is surprising to many of us is that paid family leave is still not available to families in the United States um, because I think that also um, leads to an increase in health disparities because then if if families can't take paid family leave, um, it, then it really, really sets them back for a long time financially and it becomes hard harder to recover after um, the birth or adoption of a child. And then there are all kinds of other domino effects that the family has to face um, during that time frame. So if paid family leave really is necessary to improve community well-being, but that is something that we still do not have. And finally, we talked about two things that we don't really talk about. So the first thing was about failures. And Many practitioners in development studies and disaster studies, many academics, and even as individuals, we don't really talk about failures, right? Because failure is kind of considered as something bad, um, something that we shouldn't really um, dis disclose, so to say. Yeah. And so we spoke to Becky Sindel, Esther Shaler, and Danny Barrington, who have been really running... Uh, uh, once again. And so we spoke to Becky Sindel, Esther Shaler, and Danny Barrington about failures who have been leading the way uh, in water and sanitation in particular, and who have really been pushing towards open discussions about failure. So they've really uh, explained to us why this is important. And the other topic that we don't really discuss is, of course, hope. And I think COVID and the political situations that have been unfolding all around, particularly the global north, but also in the global south, have raised many questions about hope, 
but also perhaps have raised hope where there wasn't before, right? And sometimes this hope um, didn't materialize. So we keep hoping. And it was just absolutely fantastic to talk to Laurie Peake about the importance of hope and in particular the importance of active hope and how we can take hope forward to actually make it a tool of resistance and a tool of survival and coping. With research, something you, I'm sure everyone has noticed, is that people who tend to be university researchers in particular are generally quite high achievers and we don't like to fail at things when it used to it. Um, so we also have serious imposter syndrome where we think we're not good enough to be there. So we try really, really hard to always seem like we're the best we can be. And that means never showing publicly that we fail. And I mean, the other thing is that we don't really have a good outlet to be able to tell the stories of when we fail because journals don't necessarily want to publish uh, null results, for example, when you're showing that something doesn't work, even though it would be really useful for other people to know that it didn't work uh, for next time. During those moments of great need and when that emergency is most apparent, when it, our helping behaviors also become clear, our, um, they, our, our nature to help one another becomes so apparent. And so I just, I, I think that it's so important that we continue to put this finding forth into the world and that during these times of great division and great social strife, that we remind one another that there is another way. And during times of disaster, we oftentimes show ourselves most clearly what we can do and who we are when we come together during these moments of crisis. And so I, those crises just, they reveal so much. And, um, so I, I just think this is such an important question and it's it doesn't mean that we don't also talk about the other things that crises reveal, which are also oftentimes deep inequalities and deep injustices and disparities in who lives and who dies and who's injured and who's not and who's able to prepare and who recovers and who doesn't and so forth. And so those stories are just as important to tell, but I think if if we're going to do our job to capture the complexity of the human experience and the possibility of, of what we can be, I think we need to tell all of those stories. So, this is it for season three. Yay. We have had so much fun recording this. This has been great. Thank mm. you again to all our amazing guests. Thank you to our audience for supporting us and for, you know, cheering for us. It's been fantastic. And as we already said, we will be back with season four. We are back on the first Monday in January 2021. And we'll be joined by Darren Alexander-Williams, who will be co-hosting season four with us. Amazing. I can't wait. And so for season four, we are going to start the season with an audience participation episode. These have been so popular in the past um, and we really enjoy getting your thoughts and your um, ideas about some of the topics we're discussing. And so for this special participation episode, we want your view on vulnerability. And 
Um, if you want to participate, please check out Twitter. We're going to post the questions that we're asking people to respond to later this week. And we are really looking forward to your answers and putting them together for that special episode. Yeah, I love participatory episodes. So yeah. I hope we'll get lots of recordings. We just get so many views and it's just fantastic to unpack them and just hear what people have to say. So please, please, please tell us what you think. We're really looking forward to it. Also, we have our next book group choice. And this is choice by Claudia Santos, who's been joining us for our previous two book groups. Mm -hmm. So please join us um, and read the book with us. And Claudia's choice is actually really interesting. I was, I was really excited by her mm -hmm. choice. So we are reading Chinua Achebe's um, Arrow of Gods. And I'm sure many of you know that um, Chinua Achebe is a, a famous Nigerian writer. And so this book, Arrow of God, it kind of forms a part of um, the African trilogy. So together with two other books, things fall apart and no longer at ease. And I think it will be a fantastic read because Achebe in this book um, unpacks the ideas of um, Christ, Christ... I'll start again. So I think it will be a fantastic read for the podcast book group because in this book, Achebe really reflects and kind of confronts issues that we have been talking about quite a lot um, in that they do construct disaster risk. So in this book, uh, Achebe confronts the ideas of Christian missionaries and also the colonial powers because the story is set in Nigeria um, in, in, in the 20s, in, in Nigerian village in the 1920s. So please read the book, join us uh, in discussing it. I'm sure it, it will be a fascinating discussion. Yeah, it sure will. And a couple of weeks ago, we had a live stream, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, um, about the new Jim Crow, which was our last book group choice. Um, we also had the other special uh, live stream on DRR day and we're planning more live streams. So look out for some of the live streams, but also for some of the live streams released as special episodes on um, your podcast app while we are taking a break in the next few months from the regular Monday programming. So look out for those special episodes. Some of them are live streams. Look out for the live streams when you see them pop up on Facebook um, or Twitter or YouTube and join us live and engage with the host um, in that way. We would love that. And also tell us what you think. We, you know, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear feedback. Um, if what you like, what you don't like, just let us know. Um, it will really help us with kind of planning season five um, and onwards. So as we wrap up for this season, I just want to thank everybody who's participated as a guest or engage with us on Twitter or Facebook or in person. That hasn't happened very often, by the way, this season. Um, but thank you all for being amazing. Thank you, Ksenia, for co-hosting this podcast with me. It really is the best thing that I do in my work life. <laughs> Hopefully not in life, but <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think we said this so many times before. Very often these recordings are what kind of cheers us up yep. and picks us up and actually makes our work so much more exciting because I, you know, I appreciate, I really appreciate that guests really stimulate my thinking. And also you, Jason, really encouraged me to 
kind of to think quite a lot and consider things that I wouldn't consider. And yeah, I just love, I love working with you. So it's always fun. And I want to highlight that I think this season we've hardly contributed to the jargon jar, which is pretty impressive. Does that mean that we are like moving to a higher level of consciousness or something? <laughs> no, I think we're, we're, we're just having lots of many more mmms and uh, trying to <laughs> <laughs> replace academic terminology, but we will get there eventually. Okay. See you all season four. Bye. Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time.